Kenny and I would love to have you come and join us next week for that seminar. It's rare that uh, Kenny and I are both here on a Sunday morning in order to invite you, but we both invite them, right? Absolutely, to come and join us, uh, which will be uh, wonderful. It'll be a, a good seminar. It's, it's great to know what you believe. It's even better to know why you believe it. And so we want to walk through what God's Word has to say about this with you and spend some time talking about what it says and how we can experience healing and how we can respond in those situations. I'd love to also call you to prayer today because we have a group of middle schoolers and leaders who have been on a retreat this entire weekend. They are wrapping up that retreat right now and we'll be driving back and so we want to be praying for them as they conclude that retreat and come back. We want to be praying for those leaders that God would bring healing into their life after they have spent an entire weekend with middle schoolers. Is there anything more exhausting than that? So let's be praying for those leaders as they try and come back and enter into life again. Uh, next week, we have our high school retreat that's going on. And then a couple of weeks after that is the men's retreat, February 3rd to the 5th. You can still sign up for that. There's a number of things that you can be signing up for. I invite you to go to the webpage and check those things out. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Exodus, the Deliverer where we are looking at the first half of the book of Exodus, where the people of Israel exit Egypt and go to the promised land. And we are looking at a man named Moses, a man selected by God in order to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and lead them to freedom. What part of Moses' story did we see last week? We saw his birth. And then we saw God providentially guide Moses to a place where he could grow up in the actual home of Pharaoh. But then we also saw that around the age of 40, Moses made a decision that he would be counted with the people of God, with the Hebrews, rather than take advantage of the riches of Egypt and the comforts of Egypt. He said, no, I am going to be counted as a Hebrew. And... At about the age of 40, he was wandering through Egypt and he came upon an Egyptian taskmaster who was badly abusing a Hebrew and he killed that taskmaster. And Acts chapter 7 says that when he killed him, he thought that this was the beginning of the revolution where God was going to save his people through his actions. But he was very wrong about the timing. And instead of that being the moment of deliverance, Moses wound up on the run. He had to flee all the way out of Egypt to the wilderness land of Midian. And when he arrived in Midian, he went to a well where there were a group of sisters who were trying to water their sheep. But there was another group there, a group of bully shepherds who were keeping those sisters from getting at the well. And Moses stepped up. And he drove out those bully shepherds so that those sisters could water their flocks. They were very thankful and invited Moses to come and meet their dad, Jethro. And for the next 40 years, Moses worked for Jethro, tending his sheep and his flocks. He wound up marrying one of Jethro's daughters, a woman named Zipporah. And in our account today, Moses, at the age of 80 having tended his father-in-law's flocks for 40 years, is now going to receive a call from God, a new mission that God gives to him for his people. 
I want us to read that call from God together. We're going to read a chunk of scripture right now. And so you can either open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and follow along as we read through it, or perhaps you'd like to just close your eyes and listen to the Word of God. But listen to this from Exodus chapter 3 and the first half of chapter 4. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for this place on which you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to the good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. 
So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What is that in your hand? Uh, a staff. Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and, with, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, Anyone a little bit sad that I didn't have him come up here and act it out? <laughs> See Thomas running around trying to get away from the snake. Wouldn't that be fun? Those kinds of things. Absolutely. You guys, in this passage, God called Moses. God gave Moses this unique calling to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. It is a once-in-all-of-history calling. No one else will ever receive this calling again to lead God's people Israel out of captivity in the land of Egypt. But as we read about this once-in-history calling that Moses received, we're reminded that God has put a calling upon our life. And we see some similarities between the unique calling that God gave to Moses and the calling he's put on our life. What is the calling that God has put on our life? He tells his disciples, go and make disciples. 
That's right. Often we'll end our services with a commissioning from Matthew chapter 28. And at the center of that commissioning is God's call for us to go and make disciples. And as we look at this calling that was placed on the life of Moses, we're reminded of many things about the calling that Jesus has given to us as his followers to make disciples. Let me just run through a few of those things that are similar about the callings. Starting with this, you may not feel up to the calling. Moses certainly didn't feel up to this calling. Chapter 3, verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses says, I'm a nobody. I don't even have my own flocks. I don't even have my own ranch. I'm working for my father-in-law here. I'm a nobody. Who am I that you should choose me to go and do this? He continues in chapter 4, verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. I'm not the kind of person that, the, that God would appear to. It's not believable. Come on, God. No one's going to buy this, that you spoke to me of all people. Then in verse 10, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I'm not really gifted compared to other people. I, I don't have the kind of eloquence and gifts that, that God you'd really use here. I'm, I'm not the right person. I, I don't feel up to this calling. I don't feel like I measure up in order to do this. You ever feel like that about the calling that God has put on our life? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Are there times that you hear that great mission that God has given to you, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's overwhelming. I, I'm not eloquent. I'm not an extrovert. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have the kind of gifts that God uses in a mighty and powerful way. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Anyone ever feel overwhelmed by that calling? Make disciples in your neighborhood. Make disciples in your work. One of the primary places where God calls us to be disciple makers is in our homes with our kids. I remember uh, sitting there with my daughter, my, my eldest born, in my arm, thinking about the fact that God had called me to disciple her so that one day she would be an adult who loves Jesus and makes disciples of, of Jesus in that calling. And I'm like, How? Like, what do I do here with these kids that you've put in my life? How do I raise them in you? God calls parents, grandparents, bring up children in fear and admonition of the Lord. Disciple them. And sometimes we look at those kids and we go, I don't know if I'm up for this task, Lord. And whether we're talking about kids in the home or our neighbors or our coworkers or our family members, this call that Jesus gives to us to go and make disciples can seem overwhelming like it was for Moses. What was God's response to Moses when Moses says, this is too much for me, I can't do this. I want us to drink in this response because the response is, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Please notice right, that, that God doesn't say, well, Moses, you're good enough. Moses, you're awesome. You got this. No, what is his response? His response is, no, I'm, I'm going to be with you in all of this. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. 
And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. This isn't about you working, Moses. This is about me being with you. This isn't about you having the right gifts, Moses. This is about me being with you. This isn't about you being talented enough, Moses. This is about me being with you. I'm going to do the work. I've made the calling, and I am going with you in all of this. God says to Moses, I will be with you to fulfill this calling. What does Jesus say to us when he calls us? How does the Great Commission end? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? In the same way that God says to Moses, I'm with you as you carry out this calling, Jesus says to us, I am with you completely, totally, to the very end of the age as you carry out this calling that I have given to you to go and make disciples. You don't feel up to the task of making disciples at work, in your neighborhood, of your kids, in your home? Great. God says, then you'll depend upon me. Then you'll come to me and I am with you. I stand with you in the midst of this. You may not feel up to God's call, but God says, I'm going to be with you in every bit of this as you go and make disciples. And the God who calls you, friends, is a holy God, which means you can count on the calling he has made in your life. Moses goes and he approaches this bush, and the bush is on fire. Now, it isn't that unusual that a bush might be on fire in the wilderness or in the desert, but what is unique about this bush is that it is on fire and what? It's not burning up. It's an ever-burning bush. And Moses says, I got to go over and look at this. And when Moses goes over to look at it, God stops him at a certain point and he says, part of my presence is here. And so this area is holy. I need you to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Because our God is holy, perfect, completely righteous. We aren't, but he is completely holy, righteous, and pure. Which means we can absolutely count on the fact that his calling in our life is perfect and righteous and pure because he is holy. Right? There is no sense in which you ever need to worry about whether or not the calling that God has placed upon your life is the best or right calling because holy God has given it to you. And he's perfect and he is righteous in everything that he has done. The God who calls you is perfectly holy. We focus a lot on the fact that God is love. Do you know why we do that? Because God is love. And the Bible says it over and over. God is love. And so we pay a great deal of attention to the fact that God is love. But did you know that the Bible says that God is holy many, many more times than it says he is love? I'm not suggesting we pick one and value it over the other, but I am suggesting we don't diminish God's holiness just because it makes us uncomfortable because we might be dirty in our lives. And so we hold both of these things. God is love and God is holy together. And we recognize because he's holy, because everything he does is right, because everything he does is pure, there's no better calling than the one that he's placed on your life. You don't have to think, well, would my life be spent better doing something other than making disciples? Nope. This is the calling of a holy God. And so we carry it out. 
The God who has called you is holy. The God who has called you is also compassionate. Look at some of the the things that God says in verses 7 through 9. He says, I have seen the afflictions of my people, heard their cry, know their suffering. I will deliver them, heard their cry again, seen the oppression. God says, I see, I hear, I know, I understand. There's some repetition here from what he said at the very end of chapter 2. If you look at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw, God heard, God knew, God cared. When these verses say that God heard, God saw, God understood, it doesn't mean that he didn't see or hear before that. God knew what was going on the entire time. But those words are meant to call our attention to the fact that God is about to act. That that his people, after years of being in Egypt, have finally cried out to him. And God, in compassion, loves to act when his, when his people cry out to him. And now he hears, he sees, he understands, he cares, and he's going to save. Because our God is a God of great compassion. And when he calls us to go and make disciples of others, he calls us to go and spread that compassion. That if they will call out to him, he sees, he hears, he knows And he will respond, God loves to save. He is a God of all compassion. We also see in this passage that the God who called you is infinite and eternal. When Moses asked for God's name, God tells him, tell him I am sent you. I am helps us to understand that our God is eternal and infinite and everlasting. Because there is no uh, past, middle, or future tense in the Hebrew, this could literally be translated, I was, I am, I am to be. And this is true of God. He is the only eternally existent being. Everything else that has been made has a beginning. Stars, angels, people, animals, they all have a beginning. There's only one who doesn't have a beginning, and that is the unmade maker. He is the one who is the source of everything that has been made. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He's infinite. Jesus said while he was on the earth that he is I am in the flesh. He said to the Jewish leaders before Abraham was 1900 years ago, I am. And immediately they all picked up stones in order to kill him because every one of them knew what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be the Exodus 3 God in the flesh. And they said, we can't stand for this. They picked up stones in order to stone him. As Jesus is walking across the water towards his disciples. Take that in for a second. Jesus is walking across the water towards his disciples. They are freaked out. And Jesus comforts them and says, take courage, I am. 
Jesus declares his identity, that he is Yahweh, God Almighty, everlasting God of Exodus 3 in the flesh. And so when Jesus says in the Great Commission, I am with you always, who is with you always? I am. Yahweh, God Almighty, is with you as you carry out this calling that he has put on your life. He's infinite and eternal, and so when he has given you this mission, there is nothing that he can't do in order to fulfill the mission. Moses says, I don't speak so good, God. I don't do the words good. What are we going to do? And God says in chapter 4, verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses, you may be terrible at speaking, but I'm the one who's going to act here. And I am infinite and eternal, and I will make sure that my mission is accomplished here, Moses. I will do this in and through you. And God says the same thing to you. He's infinite and eternal. And as you take steps of obedience in his commission in your life to go and make disciples, he will work in infinite and eternal ways in order to make sure that that mission is carried out. God called you. He is infinite and eternal. We also see in this passage the God who called Moses and the God who called you will fulfill all of his promises. Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 3, God says to Moses, I want to make sure that you refer to me as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when you address the people of Israel. And then he doubles down and says, I want to make sure you call me the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when you talk to the elders of Israel. He wants to make sure that people understand he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that is the connection to his covenant with his people. He made covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 15, he tells Abraham, after 400 years in a foreign land, I am going to draw you out and I am going to give you this promised land. And verses 17 and 18 talk about the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he wants them to use that name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because I made those covenants and I fulfill all of my promises. And as we look at the promises that God made to Moses, we see that they reflect the promises that he's made to us as his children. Let me give you three examples. God promised Moses and you that he will overcome the primary enemy. Look at verses 19 and 20. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. God promised Moses that he would overcome the primary enemy here. Pharaoh was an incredibly wicked man, and in some sense, he stands for wickedness in this account. God says, I will overcome that wickedness and that wicked man so that my people can be set free. And in the same way, God promises you as his child, he will overcome the primary enemies in your life. What are those primary enemies that the Bible identifies? Sin, Satan, death, separation from God. And in passages like 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Corinthians 10, we find out that on the cross of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection from the dead, he has overcome sin, 
temptation, Satan, and separation from God. He, he made those promises to us, and He is fulfilling them in our lives, and He will ultimately fulfill them when we are in heaven with Him. Right? God promised Moses and you that He will overcome the primary enemy. Secondly, God promised Moses and you that He will bless Look at verses 21 and 22. And I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry. These are not small asks, right? And for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God says that when I deliver you from Egypt, you are going to walk out of there with bundles of blessing. And in the same way, God says, when you come and follow after me, you are going to be a part of a relationship in which you receive bundles of blessing. You are going to receive these fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace that are the ultimate thing that people want in life. People are running all over the world trying to align their circumstances so that they can experience love and joy and peace. And God says, no, it's not through the proper alignment of circumstances, but through properly walking with me that you experience those things. And you can have them all as my children. Not only that, you can be a part of this great big family of love and encouragement that will strengthen you. And you can have this ultimate inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade that is kept in heaven for you. He says, when you respond to me, there are bundles of blessings that are a part of that. Moses received that promise and we receive that promise. Finally, God promised Moses and you that he will work with power. In chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, we have this uh, almost comical scene, right? where God tells Moses to take his staff and throw it on the ground, and the staff becomes a snake. And then Moses is running around trying to get away from his snake staff, or his staff snake, whatever it is. And God says, all right, Moses, grab it by the tail and watch what happens. And he grabs it by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. And then God says, Moses, go ahead and put your hand in your cloak. And he puts his hand in his cloak, and he pulls the hand out, and it's filled with leprosy. God says, you should probably put that back in the cloak again. And so he puts it back in the cloak, pulls it out again, and the leprosy is gone. God says, if people don't buy these two miracles, I want you to take water out of the Nile, I want you to put it up on the land, and I'm going to turn that water into blood. God tells Moses, I am calling you to go and do these things, to go and be my messenger to these people and to lead these people into freedom. I, I'm calling you on this mission. And as you fulfill this mission, I will be with you in great power and great might. And the same thing is true of us as we live out the mission and calling of God in our life. As we make disciples, he says, I will be with you. How does the Great Commission start? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples. Our making disciples is fueled by the fact that every bit of authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And it goes with us as we go to make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and he then fuels us as we go to make disciples. So that as we go and share the message of Jesus, as we share our testimony, 
As we seek to raise kids in fear and admonition of the Lord, God says, I go with you in that in power and might. As you're sharing your testimony, you don't have any ability to change a heart, but I do. I have all power and might necessary in order to do that. As you live out what it looks like to follow Jesus, you may not have the strength to do that day in and day out, but I do, and I will work with all power and might through you in order for you to carry out this calling that I've given to you. God promised Moses in you that he will work with power. And how many of his promises does God keep? All of them. God keeps absolutely all of them. The God who called you will fulfill all of his promises. The final thing that we see in this passage is that the God who called you put you on a team. Throughout his interactions with God, Moses is constantly coming up with excuses for why he is not the right person for this calling. He's constantly trying to say, nope, not me because of this, and not me because of this. I love chapter 4, verse 13, because Moses gives up on trying to reason with God, and he says instead, oh my Lord, please send someone else. I don't have any reasons. I'm out of arguments. Just please, please send someone else. Verse 14 says God's frustrated with Moses at this point. He's angry with Moses because he will not accept the calling that God is calling him to. But God condescends here and says, wait a minute, Moses, you don't have to go by yourself. What about your brother Aaron? I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you on this mission. And the two of you are going to be a team He has some gifts in areas that you don't. And together, you're going to work together in order to go and bring this message to the leaders of Israel and then to Pharaoh. You're going to do that together as a team. In the same way, God has made you to be a part of a team as you fulfill this calling in your life. God has not called you to go out by yourself and make disciples. He hasn't even called you to go out just with Him and make disciples. He has called you to be a part of a family and a team that is all seeking to make disciples together so that we can encourage each other, pray for each other, even hold each other accountable as we are making disciples together. When Jesus sent His disciples out to do ministry, He did so Two by two as they went out because of the encouragement and the strength that there is in that. And in a greater way, God has called us into this body fueled by the Holy Spirit to be a part of a team that is all involved in fulfilling this calling together. God's called us to be a part of a team to fulfill this great calling that He has brought into our lives. The God who called you puts you on a team. We're a part of the family of God. And we love being a part of the family of God with all that goes with that. But we are absolutely also a team that has an aim, a mission. And that aim or mission is to make disciples. As we make disciples, we bring the message that we talk about at the Lord's table every week when we observe it. What is that message? that Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, that he died in our place as a substitute so that we could be free of our sins, he would take them on himself, and we would then be children of God, living in his righteousness. As we spend some time taking the Lord's Supper together today, 
I want us to keep that in mind. The message that we bring as a part of our calling from God. What Jesus has done on our behalf. We're going to take the bread and the cup that represent Jesus' sacrifice for us. And as we do, I want to invite you and encourage you to be thinking about what God has done on your behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to take these elements with us today. And I want to encourage you as we sing Jesus' praises together to make your way to the elements in the four corners of the room when you're ready. And you can take the bread and the cup and return to your seat and I will lead us together as we take those elements. Let's sing and uh, let's stand and sing Jesus' praises together.